da 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 You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. Hello and welcome back to the Man Fam, the Man VIPs, the VIP Club, to this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast on this lovely summer Tuesday evening here in California. Uh, I'm Kent Garrison, joined remotely this week by one of my cohorts, Richard Arby. I know. Barton. Big Arby. I know you guys are all let down. You were all hoping for Brian, and I've, <laughs> considering there's only one of us, but this is the time of year where, uh, you know, there's oftentimes only two out of the three uh, Mam Fam. And these things happen, but Brian is up. I, he's, they must, I saw on social media that he was in New York city and I didn't know Kent and you, you I mean, you keep your ear to this stuff more than I do. I didn't know they had built a Disney in New York. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Did the you? first time he's ever missed the show, not having something to do with a theme park in Orlando, Florida. Um, and that's surprising. He did I didn't, go to Times Square, though. I saw he was in Times Square, which is basically well, yeah. Disney. Of New, well, I mean, well, there there is a Disney had, store in Times Square, I think. So it's probably okay. what he was doing. And there's a Disney store also just, in the airport. So he needed that for just equilibrium. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. <laughs> like he can't uh, he can't get too far from that while on vacay. That's funny. Um, so I guess yeah, he he's in New York, and you know the show must go on. It goes on every week. It, uh, regardless of who's here, the the episodes where n- none of us are here is our, are actually our most popular. It's just silence for one hour, and uh, mm-hmm. people seem to enjoy not listening to us. So we'll do as much of that as we can in the future. But Richard, I'm actually <laughs> yeah. surprised and kind of shocked because it's it's August the eighth right now, uh, and uh-huh. you and I are doing this this episode. I'm just surprised right. I was able to pry you away from the Little League World Series because I know, you know that you're, you're <laughs> yeah. avid. Every year mm-hmm. you just you lock your door, you just hunker down mm-hmm. like March Madness and just watch watch the LLWS, as you like to call it. This is true. Um, it's been uh, a pretty whirlwind thing. I, mm-hmm. You know, I've luckily this year I finally got DVR. So I was able to kind of pry myself away. Um, I'm, I'm obviously going to watch uh, Japan versus Malaysia uh, late tonight. Uh, <laughs> so I, I still am not going to miss anything, but yeah. I'm willing to miss it live uh, for the show because the people that know me know uh, I live for I live for baseball in a, in, but not professional college or even high school baseball or nor minor league. Uh, the the real game the the little league game that's that's where the action is and uh that's what i'll be watching for pretty much the next month and then i don't watch sports for a year yeah it's actually pretty weird but i understand just knowing you personally mm-hmm. i know how you are and um you know tape delaying it is one thing you know but it's it's worth losing sleep to be up to speed on the Absolutely. Little league world series Ex- exactly know? and and it, and honestly i hate admitting this but once as long as I watch it within, uh, you know, seven hours mm-hmm. of the of the actual uh, tip, um, then you know I can. It, I I won't. It's it's like Game of Thrones. As long as I see it pretty quickly, 
yeah. from the live version, I won't be spoiled right. by social media. It's so kinda, that's, yeah, that's, it's, it, it's kind of like the Olympics. It's kind of hard to avoid the spoilers when you're online and all you read about is just Little League, Little League World Series, Little totally. League, just spoilers so, everywhere. Exactly. Notifications flying exactly. at you. It's just like, yeah, it's, it's tough. No, it's disorienting. It's disorienting. <laughs> uh, but again, it's what I live for. And I, I live to every other year. You caught me on an off year. I go up to Pennsylvania. And I just see those pesky boys. I mean, literally boys of summer, out there just just killing the yeah. killing the game. Who are you, so, who, who are you pulling them. for this year? Who thinks gonna? Well, I mean, I think you know me. Yeah. Uh, and so, so Papua New I, Guinea. Know, I, uh, Papua New Guinea, pretty strong. Uh, not a whole. I mean, we're tortured. We're like Cubs fans, you know. Yeah. Us, up, us pop heads, mm-hmm. we're totally. You know, we never <laughs> we never get to claim the trophy. You know, but. Uh, but domestically, uh, you know, obviously the Southeast, because uh, that's just always been, you know, those those kids from Florida and Alabama right. and Georgia, yeah. and those are South Carolina. Those are, uh, you know, just always they're such little scamps, and uh, and so, but yeah, Papua New Guinea for sure is my number one team. Good. Well, you can hear more content like this over on the VIP feed with uh, Mad about Little say, League I World Series say, is our spinoff. Normally, I'm cool with sticking with a bit but i hate the little league world series it's the worst <laughs> i hate hating Wait, kids this much, but every what? august yeah i know sometimes we do bits blah, blah. Blah, yeah. uh, <laughs> it is like the absolute 39. worst it is Just on put in a bunch of fart sound tri- <laughs> i know and honestly it wouldn't be that bad but it's in this it's in this uh they it's i blame espn because or whoever schedules it because it's right before football's about to start and so you're just starving. You're the most excited you're going to be for your traditional American sports fans. Some some don't love football, but I, like most that like sports, love NFL and college football. And so I'm so close, I can taste it. And so I just have grown the these these little league kids have come to represent, uh, you know the the doldrums of the sports calendar as we get to the fun part. And so I've just grown. I I hate them. Yeah, it used to be. Now I'm busy enough where I don't really ever see them. But it used to be when I was like in high school and college and I had a lot of free time in August and I would sit and just stare at ESPN for seven hours a day, I would I would say horrible things about children just to get them off my screen. <laughs> wow. We have started off this show on quite a note. Um, we're rambling a little bit, but that's okay. Um, but Because we, we do have a lot to talk about tonight. There's no shortage of oh, movie yeah. news, rumors, rumblings, things to discuss. Um we let the VIPs vote on the episode tonight. We were either going to cover Valerian, the Emoji Movie, or we were just going to do another hour on Now You See Me, which would have been... I'm ready for that. I I caught Now You See Me 2 on HBO so Family. Because nothing brings a family together like, like Now You See Absolutely Me. Absolutely not. And uh, I'm ready to do another hour on that pretty soon. It's been about two years and uh, ready for it. But that, that'll have no, to wait. So they voted on The Dark Tower. The Dark Tower was long anticipated, much awaited for a lot of people. Very big performance and debut at, at Comic-Con and things like that. And we were kind of wondering, I remember about this time in the spring, uh, about mid-spring, we were wondering, like, is this even going to come out this year? Because I remember we hadn't yeah. seen a trailer or any any photos or anything like that. And then it all just kind of came really fast uh you know the photos and trailers just kind of all came out at once and we didn't hear anything about it and 
and uh, we got a release date, and that was it. And I think we kind of knew um, it was a little sketchy from the start, but I'm excited to break down this movie because it did perform at least decently at the box office, decently enough to be number one, but surely uh, it only made $20 million, I think, like that. It was the lowest week of the uh, summer, box office-wise, and uh, but it did stake the claim at number one, narrowly beating out Halle Berry's Kidnap, which I didn't even know existed, but apparently it I does. I know, that, that did pretty well. I think they're pretty pumped that that, that looked like a total throwaway, and then it actually made some money. Kidnap? Uh, yeah, kid. No, seriously. I mean, kidnapped. Let's see, kid or kidnap rather. You know, it did. Yeah, it's made eleven million for pretty much. It looked like a. I mean, you would think a Halle Berry led drama would probably be direct to on demand, right? What was the point, one she right? did like two years ago? It was about phone call or something. Yeah, I don't know what it was. This is kind that. of her move. Yeah. Lately, uh, and then just throw in the next. The call is what the I call. That yeah. was four. That was four years ago. Wow, really? Yeah, that was twenty thirteen, and then and then she had Days of Future Past in twenty fourteen. It hasn't had a movie in three years. I feel her star is. I mean, she's a movie. Yeah. She was at one point a movie star, even though none of her movies were ever very good. But she's a star. But I, I mean, this was from the studio Av- Av- Aviron. Mm. This is their first movie, hmm. and. Uh, you know, to make 10 mil, I bet this thing maybe costs 15. It's definitely going to make money. Uh, so that's, I think, a surprise hits, actually. Yeah. Even though none of us know or care about it. That was pretty smart release date for it, too. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, weird, weird. You know, summer just ends now in August. August used to be when the, the summer season kind of faded, you know, but it was still a summer movie season. You know, there'd be. But now it's like August 1 is dead because the summer starts in February. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like it's getting pushed back every year rather than being pushed yeah. forward. Um, I think Guardians is the last big movie that came out. I think August first mm-hmm. was the release date on yep. the first Guardians, and um, but they didn't do that again. They didn't I mean, do that they again. Were smart enough. Um, I believe what was it last year? Uh, Suicide Squad, I believe, tried it. Yeah, uh, the first yep. week of August and did pretty well. But uh, it's it yeah, it's moved back. I mean, freaking Guardians two is already on video. You know, you can already watch it at home. Sure. And that, it already came out. You know, Fate of the Furious, I watched it on a plane the other day. You know, all those movies yeah. are still uh, being watched and enjoyed by people, but at home now. And uh, yeah, like you said, it's a lot harder for summer movies to to grab a hold and kind of dominate the summer. And uh, so The Dark Tower, pretty decent showing this past week. And mm-hmm. I'm excited to talk about it with you yeah a little bit yes okay but we do have i mean the the movie news gods blessed us this morning with uh some big industry news and i like to talk we like to talk about you know casting and uh, directors and things like that but the movie business is big it's a big billion trillion dollar industry and um i would say the biggest player in this and we just had talked about them earlier is Disney and uh, Disney slash ESPN at this point. And they had a big announcement this morning saying Bob Iger, uh, Disney CEO is basically like, all right, well we're done with Netflix and we're, we're pretty much done with all over the top streaming services, except for 
the ones that they can control. So the announcement is that Disney is going to pull all their content off of Netflix, uh, off of Hulu. They, they, I understand they do have a contract with Hulu currently that they'll just you know play out that contract, and once that deal is done, then um, those movies and uh, properties will be pulled off of Hulu, which Disney does have a stake in Hulu. And uh, I'm not yep. sure if they'll through AB through ABC right. right? It's part of the right. Yeah. It's through the NBC, ABC, Fox deal, kind of combating mm-hmm. CBS's all access, which they have their own standalone streaming service. And uh, so it's still TBD, I guess, on whether Disney will you know sell their stake in Hulu and just go all in on their own service. But that's the announcement. Disney is going to release their own streaming service, their own streaming app, which will include all of their original content. And from what I can understand, this is going to be in partnership with ESPN or something like that. I don't know how much you've read. I haven't got to read much about it. Just a couple of headlines on Twitter that um, a big overhaul in the streaming on demand category for Disney slash ESPN and all the Disney branded content, whether that's Pixar, anything like that will be, Probably on there, uh, they wouldn't go as Marvel, far. Star Wars, they would, yeah, they wouldn't go as far as to say as if Frozen Two, which is their next big movie, would be on there, be available on there. They can't really think that far ahead or give a definitive yeah. answer, and they haven't given a definitive answer whether Star Wars and Marvel will be that'll be their permanent home as well, because there are some lucrative opportunities for Disney out there on network television yeah. and on cable, you know, for the FXs and the. And the uh, HBOs and things like that that they do, it is a revenue stream for them still. Uh, so they want to kind of, I guess, walk that line, but also have complete control of their stuff. And I think this is a really smart move. And if you're asking me what I think is going to happen, it, you know, they're going to come up with some funky name for it, kind of like Hulu or something like that. And um, they're going to have their own service that. I, I can see them doing some original programming on there, all on Netflix, you know, um, and really having their own kind of hub for for their content. Of course, their movies speak for themselves. I mean, people will buy that just so their kids can watch Disney movies. And uh, with, like I said, with Star Wars and Marvel, if they do bring those into the fold and include those in the package, include all the you know all the Avengers movies on on there and all the Star Wars movies that they're going to do on there. And, and that's going to be a very, very tempting thing for a lot of people to, to throw down the nine ninety nine a I month mean, or whatever. Or may, they can probably charge more if they really yeah. load. I was thinking about this. I mean, we'll see about uh Marvel MCU and Star Wars, but if they could put, if they put all the, and I don't know how this affects the vault, if it's, you know, what the strategy is of loading all the Disney animated films onto the streaming platform or do them in sort of, rollouts and then get rid of them for a while like they do with the with the home release but the if they could have a substantial amount of disney animated content i don't know a single parent that, that wouldn't plop down 15 bucks a month for right that. right i mean you think about i i see i've you know i'm at that age i'm 30 so i'm at the point of a lot of my contemporaries having babies and obviously, as millennials, we invented parenting, so we have to post about it all the time. And the amount of Moana stuff I see uh, that, you know, by my kid from, you know, whether that kid's nine months old or nine years old, streams Moana on Netflix every day, four times a day. If you could 
if that goes away on Netflix <laughs> and you could, you know, throw a tablet at a kid in the car and it, or at home or whenever you need them to shut up and they could have 30 Disney movies to choose from. I mean, that's an invaluable tool for, <laughs> for a yeah. parent. I mean, you might be able to charge $50 a month, not that they would, but, and so then you, and then maybe you add add ons of it. The, the way I could see them structuring it is like how Hulu currently operates where you have the Hulu, which is maybe the Disney branded content. And then you have like you can add on HBO Showtime, et cetera, to your Hulu for X amount. So maybe you add on the Avengers package for four dollars a month and you add on Star Wars for four dollars a month or do something like that is maybe how I could see them. That would be a lucrative way. And then, then you know, then Brian, the Brian package, which is everything yeah. for I mean, Brian's probably going to have to start Uber driving or something. You know, at some point, all these streaming things add up. I probably wouldn't get Disney, but Brian's going to have to like, maybe he'll start selling drugs or something so he can, <laughs> so he can afford his streaming habit. It is a lucrative uh, opportunity for Disney. And again, it's just long-term thinking on their part. You know, they really do need to have control of all this. And now they do have the on-demand apps for Disney Channel and Disney XD and those things like that, that, um, that um, kids, you know, grow up on. But you do have to have a cable subscription for that. So, what what have you heard? Have you heard anything on whether this is going to be an all in, you know, one off? You buy a nine ninety nine, you have it, or do you still have to have the the rights to to stream it through some kind of authentication of a cable uh, provider? Uh, and I like think that? the separation from these cable providers is beginning, and I'd be pretty surprised if it was the HBO Go model. I think it would probably be an HBO Now model, uh, mm-hmm. in that it could be an a la carte independent thing. I was thinking about this the other day. I mean, I, the more you look at it, because the big player in live entertainment right now is sports, and you've touched touched on ESPN, and, and ESPN really whiffed on the first generation of cord cutting. I mean, it really has hurt their their business. They're still making money, but they, they bid and bid and bid on these enormous amounts of, of money for these live sports rights, because that's not only f- gives them ratings for the games, but also it, it fuels their whole network with highlights, et cetera. But they they spent so much money right as all the cord they didn't see the cord cutting coming and so and then they had no way to really monetize their streaming services so they're they're making up for that and aligning themselves with their kind of parent company of Disney is a smart way of doing that. However, uh, there's a lot of money out there in the streaming side, and you look at the NFL deal and you look at the NBA deal and these live sports rights, which really are a huge next step in streaming, and what's keeping you know Amazon. And you know Netflix and Facebook mm-hmm. uh, from from bidding you know t- triple what CBS and Fox can bid for the NFL in a couple years when that deals up. That's interesting. And if that happens, you're looking at a world where for our kids, Kent, um, Facebook and Amazon and Hulu, Netflix, a few other things mm-hmm. are going to be the ABC, NBC, yeah. CBS for our kids. I mean, those are going to be you know those things will go away. And these media comp- these uh, these tech companies are going to end up buying these the brands of these media companies, CBS, et cetera. I mean, that's really where this is kind of going. Right. And I know this is a movie podcast, and you know we don't talk about sports much on here, but aside from Little League baseball, obviously, but sports <laughs> are really the next key cog. If you want to figure out kind of where movies and things are going, uh, sport really pay attention. Even if you don't follow sports at all, really pay attention to where these sports media rights go. Because that's where all the money is in live entertainment, and whoever wins that battle is going to win this streaming yeah. content for movies and everything else. We've already seen it a little bit with the uh, with the National Football League. I mean, they 
sold the rights to their Thursday night games to Twitter last year. And they were putting them on freaking Twitter. That was the preferred. I mean, it was, I think it was still on NFL Network or whatever, but that was the number one source for watching the games was on Twitter, you know? And uh, I think they are kind of thinking that's where it's going. That's our future is partnering with these services to do that. Um, I mean, if I'm being honest, it would be smart for every single league to, you know, I understand they do have partnerships in place already with the Foxes and things like that. And Major League Baseball is much different when it comes to rights. I mean, each team team negotiates its own deal in baseball. Mm -hmm. And they don't get ratings. National national TV baseball gets not very great ratings. ESPN really missed on giving that a lot of money. People watch their local team. The NBA and NFL are unique in, you know, you and I will watch a Patriots Colts game, mm-hmm. obviously because it's football, and we'll watch a Golden State uh, Bulls game, you know, if it's mm-hmm. on. But no one watches if we like we we live in Dallas. Would you ever watch like a Dodgers Padres game? That would you know you well, never Padres, would. yeah. I mean, well, that's true. <laughs> the Padres are, are our team, but I mean, it's 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 really the the TV yeah. ratings for local sports are excellent. I mean the local TV ratings for sports, but national TV ratings are tough. They're going to have a hard time selling that. I think they know that they're, they're marketing that MLB app is, is pretty good and smart and well run, but football is because that's, you know, they're unique in that they don't have a local TV deal. They're, you know, only a national deal with national networks yeah. and they negotiate that at, 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 you know, as a league, not individual teams. It's going to be really interesting. I, I definitely think, I think Amazon especially is primed, to uh to really you know at least get a night of football like you know maybe monday night football or thursday night football move to amazon i mean i really think they're looking at that and i wouldn't be surprised if they got an entire you know they took over for fox or cbs which i think sounds crazy and and to our age it does and everyone older than us but to a 12 year old it's no different you know if i gotta you know they don't have these allegiances oh yeah so if if fox and if fox and if fox offers 1.8 1.8 billion dollars for the next two or whatever. Let's say they offer three billion dollars for the next five years of of NFL Sunday. You know the noon and three traditional NFL games. And Amazon comes and says that's great. We'll offer 5.5. The league has to think about that, right. and it's a it's gonna and that right there establishes for, for all they're looking for is new subscribers. That gets a lot of people subscribed to Prime. That wouldn't have before because what are they going to not watch football yeah. because I mean you might lose your local team you know it's not like you have a local broadcast so it's yeah. it's certainly that that football thing and 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 as silly as it is uh the as as you can tell this is I'm interested in this so I'm sorry I'm monologuing oh, go ahead. they used the the interesting thing is you know they used to say I mean this is sort of crass but they used to say if you want to see where technology is going always follow porn you know porn has a perfect record of picking technology because of, you know, it's has a large distribution network. Uh, so, you know, when it was VHS or beta, porn chose VHS, and thus we all had VHS. I mean, seriously. And when it was Blu-ray versus HD DVD, same thing. Uh, and then with the kind of forefront in streaming technology was pornography. It, 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 we don't like to talk about it, but that is kind of what chooses our technology. Uh, it, similar in sort of a lowbrow entertainment, uh, the media rights for WWE – uh, are up in in 2019. That's the first kind of sport whose media rights up. And there's a lot of rumors about them leaving USA Network to either go entirely on their their app uh, or go to Facebook or Amazon. 
And if they do that, as silly as professional wrestling is, and, and Kent and I have a, a love for it, uh, and Brian has a, uh, he detests it. But it, as silly as that seems, you know, the WWE has a history of making really sound uh, business decisions in terms of distributing their content. I mean, they were the first to have an app uh, that that had all of their their history of matches and documentaries and stuff on it, pay per views and all that. So really, really, it's been copied by everyone. If you like MLB TV or the NBA app, well. WWE thought of that seven years ago. It's so yeah. The, uh, the WWE network is the gold standard in owning your content, owning the rights to totally. your own product, and marketing it perfectly and pleasing a fan base. I mean, totally. If the NFL went that route, if the NFL had an app, you know, NFL Network just switched over to an app where you can watch live NFL Network all day. You can watch, you know, archived episodes of Hard Knocks and things like that. that they have the, the rights to, you know, you can watch every Super Bowl on the app, you know, replay old games and things like that. And say, like you said, say they, they pull the rights to, um, you know, they distribute the rights to, you know, the Googles and Amazons of the world. Eventually, I'm, I'm, I'm talking like a nine years down the road uh, sure. and they charge if they say, you know, all right. Well, you can watch every NFL game this year, uh, non-blacked out. You can watch your local teams. You can watch NFL Red Zone. You can watch all our covers on NFL Network. And we're going to charge you $50 for the season. I can guarantee yeah. you that oh, they, would make, they would make twice the amount they're making right now with the uh, people, you know, with the, the DirecTV package that they have, the Sunday ticket and things like that. Um, totally. that that's the, the end goal. But, I mean, Disney's on the right track. Man, uh, it's good foresight by them. Big long-term plan. You know, I'm, I'll be honest, and I need to ask Brian about this. Uh, that new Star Trek series on CBS is like making me consider getting the CBS standalone, like just for that, because mm-hmm. ex- it's exclusively going to be on their app, and that's a really smart move. And uh, you know, they already have things like Colbert on there that I already enjoy. So, and it's going to be. I, I hope I'm a parent by the time that this Disney thing comes out, so I'm just not like a sad 35 year old with the Disney app on my TV <laughs> enjoying it by myself. But man, really, really cool by them. But there's one other thing I wanted to mention that was announced this morning as well. And uh, there's some more TV news to talk, but I do want to wait for Brian for for the other stuff. We'll wait for for next week for that. But what I do want to mention with you is. Uh, freaking American treasure. David Letterman is back like officially he's, yeah. he's coming back to our lives, to television, to Netflix. Uh, he's joining his cohorts and freaking, uh, Chris rock and Dave Chappelle and Jerry Seinfeld and Louis CK and Amy Schumer and everybody else who has gone to Netflix and AZ Ansari and the list goes on, you know? Um, and he's going to do a talk show, long form talk show, not necessarily a comedy talk show like The Late Show, but it is mm-hmm. going to be him interviewing people in a long-form, unscripted style, and uh, I can't wait for that. And uh, that's probably, if you were to say, what would you want Dave to do forever? That's probably what I would say, yeah. is if he could have a show on demand where he just interviews people for hours. I would love that. And uh, I, I always thought that about The Late man. Show, is that he's such a good interviewer, but he, he was th- with every person for seven minutes, you know, or whatever it was. He, he never really got and, into it. And he, you know, we, we love Dave, but in his later years, 
it took a good guest to kind of get his fur up and make him interested. He he did phone in a lot of interviews. Mm-hmm. So something like this, he's only going to have people on he really wants to have on. That's true. That he's really interested in talking to. He, you know, he, he's he's and even sometimes it was the it was the bad interviews like the Paris Hiltons and Joaquin Phoenixes of the world that that made him great. And then obviously the really good interviews with interesting people it was kind of the middle of the road where he would kind of phone it in. But th- there will be no phoning in here. It's six episodes to start. I think it's going to be about an hour long of uh, kind of probably like a Charlie Rose with mm-hmm. Goofy Dave. Uh, you're right. That's exactly what we would we would want him to do. I, Conan's done a little bit of that, bit of that with Serious Jibber Jabber. Uh, and Conan is a is a good interviewer, I, but I think Dave is definitely the goat in terms of talk show interviewers. So, uh, yeah, this is great. It, it's it's fun to watch. It, it could have gone a lot of different ways with Dave it, it, when he retired because he he idolized Carson so much, and Carson totally disappeared really from public life. And it was it was refreshing after a few months that once Dave started popping up and kind of doing bits in public and talking about how he didn't have anywhere to go now that he was off TV. It was like, oh, okay, he's still going to be part of the culture, and now it's nice to have that confirmed. Exactly. I mean, he's been he's been very visible lately in the public eye. I kind of could sense he was getting the itch to, to do something, you know. Totally. And he said, uh, you know, I think the quote he said when this was announced was, you know, I retired to be spend more time with my family, but then I realized I hated my family or something like that, like something just super – American treasure of him to say, and yeah. uh, man, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's really, really. Yeah, he really said, exciting. "If you're going, if you're going to, uh, yeah, if you're going to retire to spend time with your family, check with your family first. Is the okay, that's yeah. so good. Uh, man, what I actually think it has a little bit to do with is I remember Dave was on Jerry Seinfeld's Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee uh, mm-hmm. about I think the year he retired, maybe two years ago, the re- year he stepped down from the Late Show, and I remember him talking to Jerry like he was just so jealous of comedians and cars getting coffee. He's like, this is the coolest idea. I'm so jealous that you get to, this is your show. You get to do whatever you want. You get to drive cool cars. You're just hanging out with your friends, but you're still doing a show. Like, I think that kind of opened his eyes to like, I can do whatever I want I now. Totally right. I don't have to yep. stick to doing the late show and do the monologue and do that whole structured network television thing. Now he has the freedom to have fun, you know, really. And I, I'm just excited to see what, what he does, what format it is. If it's more casual like Comedians in Cars or if it's more formal like Charlie Rose, I, I don't know. But I'm very excited. And I I will be binging it the first night. That's probably the only oh, only thing I – We might have to get together for it. I man. wish it was a little bit like the uh, – oh, we will. I wish it was a little bit like the, the Chelsea Handler thing where they do – I think they have a new episode every week or it still stays relevant. You know, like she talks yep. about current things. And instead of doing, you know, six hours of Dave and then we have to wait a year for six more interviews, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so it'll be cool to see where they go. But, man, awesome. He's coming back. And I guess the onus or the anus is on Conan now. I think he just re-upped with TBS. But I heard rumors that, like, he was going to um, just do YouTube. Like, he was going to put the Conan show live on YouTube and do, you know, because all of his – his segments, his clueless gamer and his, you know, on the street stuff does very well on YouTube. And I think Conan's kind of figuring out like that his future is going to be online too. Yeah. And it could be on TV, but that show needs to change. It's, it's very dated in the way it looks. And I I was talking to Brian about this the other day. It's so, uh, it's such a large show. It's got the big studio and the big band and all of that. 
And it seems ridiculous because it's really brightly lit as this huge studio, this huge band, and it gets less ratings than Last Call with Carson Daly. So it just seems silly. And if the show was smaller in scale and it was like more of the travel log, kind of the Anthony Bourdain stuff that he does, if it was just that, the show would seem perfect. And it's really totally right. But there's something, and I love Conan, but there's something ridiculous about doing this big time old school talk show that no one <laughs> has zero cultural relevancy and no one watches. As Brian said, how many times can you have Simon Helberg on to talk about life? And it, it just I was surprised TBS was willing to keep footing that bill because I just can't imagine how they make money on that show because Conan's salary has to be substantial and that's a big operation they have. And maybe they just think, hey, having a talk show makes us a legitimate cable network. Yeah. But I think you could, I just think you could do something on such a smaller scale, still with Conan, pay him the same salary and have a staff and all that, but like something more of a travel show, more viral clips. I know he works that stuff in, but I just don't see the point in him having this big studio coming out telling seven awful monologue jokes, working his way over, and then doing some stilted interviews with people that we don't know who they are. Right. And then all to get in this really funny seven-minute viral clip where he goes to North Korea. Right. And it's like, can we just cut out the fat and just right. do that? Whether that's on, like you said, Kent, whether that's on YouTube or still on TBS, I don't care. But that's the show. Yeah. Everything else just seems silly. This is what I was reading. This was in May. Uh, this is from Deadline. Conan O'Brien signs four-year deal with TBS, says the show will become leaner, more agile, and less predictable. So that's exactly what you were just talking about. Um, yeah. You know, less by the books, less structured out, and more digital shorts, um, more on the street. And uh, I'm sure the money that they threw at him was probably irresistible. Um, but it says here the show has chalked up a total of 3.4 billion video views online. Um, totally. And that includes 70 million or 218 million for just Clueless Gamer, which is him just playing video games and riffing on it, which is very one of my favorite segments. Really funny. Yeah, super funny. And uh, 70 million for Team Coco branded content, which is his own little network there. So, yeah, uh, that's the future. Dave's realized it. Conan needs to realize it soon, and, and uh, we'll see what, what happens there. But and exciting stuff online, and it's making our lives, people like me, you, Brian, the cord cutters, uh, making our lives a lot easier. And um, just makes me happy that I don't have to pay a cable bill because content's coming to me. I don't have to go to the content. And uh, all good times. Well, good conversation. We'll have to return to our Little League World Series chat another time. But now it's time to take a break and discuss the Dark Tower. All right, so this is a bit of an interesting project, property, and film. Movie, I should say, not film. It is a science fantasy western, Mm -hmm. if I should get the genre correct. And it uh, has interest from a lot of people. This is a pretty rabid fan base. Like I said, uh, I remember when the Comic-Con trailer dropped, like, People were squealing and things like that. You would have thought this was The Force Awakens or something like that. Uh, But people have been waiting for this movie for a long time. It has been rumored for a long time. Uh, You know, they've tried to to get this made for as long as I can remember. I mean, I remember in high school hearing about possibly making this into a movie. Uh, So they did. And this is what we got. 
and <laughs> I'm just a little confused by this. Um, not confused as to why they made it, because like I said, uh, built-in fan base. Uh, you can obviously spin this off into several different areas. You can make this into a franchise. You can, uh, you know, spin these characters off into their own TV series or what, whatever you want to do. Um, I know, I know why this was made uh, as a as a property. Uh, I don't know why this was the movie you made yeah. though. You know, it, it, like I know I know this has potential. This world does. This um, universe does. This story does. These uh, this, this these elements. This science fiction. This the whole you know I guess look and feel of the world that they've built or that Stephen King had built is is great and it, it would make for a great movie. Um, I don't know why if you're if you wait twenty thirty years to pull the trigger on making this, why this was was the one you you made. Um, I understand Idris Elba is a a solid actor. I wouldn't necessarily consider him a, a, a leading man, certainly of a, of a blockbuster like this. I mean, Pacific Rim was fine, but he wasn't really the lead in Pacific Rim. Uh, Charlie Hunnam was, believe it or not. And I mean, uh, he's good in things like Prometheus and, and, uh, and I love Idris Elba. I want him to be James Bond. Like, I think he's a great actor, but it's not like the studio's like, guys, we got Idris Elba. We have to make this now. You know, and, and McConaughey is certainly not peaking right now. I mean, he's hit he's hit a rough patch since uh, since Dallas Buyers Club and all that. And and it's, True Detective, we had the McConaissance, and now we may have the McConaugh Dark Ages. Or right, something. it's, oh, it's you guys the anti make the pun for me. And you know, he had that movie last year with Free State of Jones, that Civil yeah. War movie that he took really serious, and it just came out, and no one cared at all. And um, Interstellar, I didn't enjoy. And this, it's just a weird time for, for McConaughey, so that can't be the reason that they made it. Um, again, I'm just confused as to why this was the one they made. Um, yeah. It was, it was completely um, harmless, I guess. It, I mean, there are worse movies this year. Transformers yeah. is a worse movie. Uh, the Circle was a worse movie. Um, it just wasn't good. I wasn't... I didn't enjoy this, you know, I, I wasn't riveted. There weren't any well executed moments, uh, you know, both dramatically and through the action or anything like that. I mean, we saw Atomic Blonde last week, so I was thinking of that when I went and saw this. And if you're talking about the gunslinger and things like that, uh Atomic Blonde did that stuff way better than this did. It was a lot more fun to watch and a lot more creative and, and things like that. And uh, that that's what kind of struck me about this movie. Just general thoughts here. It's just kind of blah. Yeah. Uh, it kind of exists. Um, this was the shortest movie I think I've seen this year. I was I was stunned when it ended. I was yeah. like, you. I was waiting for something for the snakes to get high, and then it just ends. The movie ends, and I was very confused by that. But you know, I'm in the minority because I was in the theater. There's probably nine people in the screening last night and I was the only one not clapping at the end of the movie when it, when it ended. I was like, wow, this, I don't know if less has happened in a movie ever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what I felt like. Uh, but I mean, I wasn't offensively bad, but it was certainly wasn't good. It's the most plateau 
mediocre standard movie that I've ever seen. And uh, it reminded me of like, I don't know, Insurgent or something like yeah. that. Like it's just <laughs> yeah. kind of there and no one cares and it's not offensively bad, but some people like it. And it's just kind of, it's disappointing because like I said, this is intriguing, intriguing uh, subject matter and, and actors and things like that. And it's disappointing. So, uh, and off the top, I'll say, I have never read the book. I know nothing about the Dark Tower. As a, yeah, I've never read any of them. Uh, I have read Stephen King. I'm familiar with him, which we'll talk about. But I don't. I just wanted to say off the top that I did not read the book. Um, but did you read it? And what are your thoughts on this? This uh, I guess property. No, yeah, no, I have not. But I will say it's kind of odd. This this movie is a sequel to the seventh book, which seems a weird way to do it. Huh. Uh, so it's really assuming a ton of cultural literacy of these books. Now they have a large audience, but it's not. It's not something everyone has read, so it's a kind of an odd way to not make the previous books into something. Also, uh, so that's weird. Uh, number two, this is kind of a go big or go home movie, and that I mean they yeah. probably should have gone go home. Like if Nicolaj Arcel is the only director you can get to make it, maybe just don't make it. Right? This is such a large, crazy universe that. Unless you can get a really kind of A-list filmmaker to make this film or, or someone with a little more, maybe someone with a little more upstart uh, credentials that you know is going to be the next big thing. Just hold. You've, you've waited 30 years. What's another few more? This just seems a weird, like you said, a weird time for this to come out. It's not like it. I know Ron Howard produced. I think he was attached to direct it at some point and then kind of kind of just ended up shepherding it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, you know, it, it's made in a mid budget. I mean, it's a $60 million budget. Uh, so, and it was marketed decently. So it's going to make money probably for the studio. It's, it's already made 30 million and it hasn't been released in a lot of countries. And I think this will play pretty big internationally because, uh, McConaughey is a pretty big star and Idris is a, is a decent sized star, uh, you know, especially in Europe. So it's, it's, it's not a horrible move business-wise to make this film, but it's just interesting. This seems like, and look, it could maybe they're right to put $60 million in it, get a middling director, and just try to make money with it. But it seems like something that's like, either you put $120 million in it and you get Spielberg or someone to direct it, or just don't, why are we here? Yeah, Because it's such a beloved property with such a big scale that it just seemed weird. And then also, yeah, to make it a sequel to the seventh book... Just kind of confusing for everyone there, you know. I I would imagine, but maybe more people have read this than I think. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying it's a niche book. I mean, I know it's Stephen King. I know it's a a popular work of of uh, pop fiction, but still, I don't. Is there is there any book in 2017 where you could make it and be like, obviously, you've all read seven of these, so we'll just start here. I don't think there's anything you could do that with aside from yeah. the Bible. Uh, so. So it's 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 just kind of a weird weird choice, but yeah, it's not it's a weird movie. It's it's totally uh, it's odd for a blockbuster. It's very dark, which is fine, can work. It's it's not it's it's the least. First off, I will kiss whoever made this on the mouth for making it an hour and thirty five minutes. That's awesome. Yeah. This makes me, I'm going to give it a grade later, and I promise you, I'm going to give it a grade higher than I normally would. And I wish more people on Rotten Tomatoes had done this, because it's got a pretty low score. Because it's so short? Yes. Yes. 
Yes, if it's this not, was two it's hours, not up in, in it's not like full of itself and all that. Yeah. No. If this was two hours and twenty five minutes, I would give this an F probably, but I'm not going to do that simply because and I would I was mad because I knew Brian was out this week and I was like, I'm gonna sit through this because I heard this is pretty bad. And I was like, I'm pissed because I'm gonna have to sit through this whole thing because you don't want to do a podcast where only one guy's seen the whole movie. Normally my move is to walk out for those of you news to the show on bad stuff and then Brian and Kent kind of carry on the, the end of the thing and I make jokes. That's It's a rapport we've established. But I was like, I'm going to sit through this no matter what because Brian's out this week. And it was, like you said, I was surprised it was over and I, I was so thankful for that. It made me like the movie more. Me and too. more people yeah. should should take <laughs> heed of this. Because, yeah. No, it is. Especially, <laughs> and it might be us, like maybe more people don't care about runtime because they see six movies a year. We see 50-something movies a year in the theater. So like, it's just so nice when something's not two plus hours. So, so maybe that's a unique movie podcaster problem. But yeah, no, it was. I love them for that. I think that ties in though, Kent, with the we didn't see much out of this. I think this might have been a little bit of a mess because remember World War Z was like this, and that they somehow miraculously saved that into a pretty good movie. But there was all kinds of issues with production, and they kind of had to chop together a movie. This felt the same way, but they weren't ex- successful chopping it together, and that. That 90-minute runtime makes me think they probably didn't have a whole lot of t- usable footage. Oh, yeah. Man, it, it, was, it was a pleasant surprise. I, I was in the movie, and uh, one of my friends texted me in the first act and was like, hey, what are you doing? Do you want to watch Game of Thrones, the, the new episode? And Because uh, we, uh, we watch it, you know, we bro down and watch Game of Thrones. And uh, I was like... I was like, I'm in a movie right now, but, you know, I'll give it an hour, see if it goes anywhere. And uh, if it, you know, if it doesn't go anywhere, I'll leave. Right. I was going to give this one one more hour of my time and uh, I was going to leave. I was out of there in 45 minutes after I sent that text. (laughs) I was so stoked. I was like, I saw the movie. I was back, you know, watching Game of Thrones before I (laughs) even said I would be done you know, making a decision. And I was, I walked out of the theater actually super stoked about that. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and like, I remember um, sitting in the theater and remembering that I saw a tweet from, I think fl- film clickbait or something like that, where it said runtime 90 minutes or, you know, or, or the, the headline was, you'll never guess the runtime for the Dark Tower. And it's like 90 minutes. And I was just fist pumping, you know, like, gosh, <laughs> why aren't more blockbusters like this? But yeah, it's there so should short. be a law. Yeah. But uh, I mean, it, you could have had several goals with this movie, right? If if the goal with, with the Dark Tower, with, with bringing it to the screen finally, after all this time, was to set the stage, right? If you're going to set the stage for the next film, future films, then... I can understand in 90 minutes, but this movie did such a terrible job of setting any kind of stage. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong and, or please fill me in Richard, but what the hell is the dark tower? Like I, I know that there is a tower and they mention in the movie that it controls all things or whatever, yeah, but they do a horrible the job yeah, of awful. setting up the dark tower. <laughs> I think it's the gateway between that weird world and our world. Okay. And so it's what keeps, the monsters at bay and stuff. So, uh, so that's that's the that's the tower. It's, it's sort I, of. I didn't point. understand the power of it, like where it was yeah. located, why you know what. what no, you're right. If you go they, to it or touch it or anything, that's like what that. I mean. It's they just had, kind of he, he has had, visions of it, but that's really all I got. Yeah, they had this weird 
kind of cocky thing of like, well, everyone, we don't need to spend any time right. on that. Everyone knows what the Dark Tower is. Like, no, we don't. We do not know. This is a a book that first off, the first one was out thirty five years ago, so don't expect a lot of sixteen year olds to have read it. And uh, a lot of it's it's whether or not it's Stephen King or not, it's still it's still genre fiction. So can you can you give me thirty seconds on a little more? Yeah, it was that was weird. It was definitely weird, and you know I like Stephen King, like I said. Um, but I didn't expect all these Stephen King references, Easter eggs, crossovers. Why? Why does this? I mean, are all his books in the same universe? Is that what they're trying to establish here? Or are they trying to make them in the same universe? Because I didn't yeah. know that The Shining had anything to do with The Dark Tower <laughs> and vice versa. And you know, it and Pennywise, you know, like where there's a scene in here where he goes to the old rundown carnival Pennywise ride or whatever. And, you know, the main character in, in the dark tower, the little boy, Jake is, mm-hmm. uh, has the shine, you know, the ability is the same as Danny from the shining and right. all that. I mean, I just, it felt like more that they were trying to throw that in my face and they were trying to tell their own story. Like this is Stephen King. This is remember the shining guys, you know, all that. And, um, that's all I really got was just thoughts of the shining. You know, I was just sitting there wishing I was watching the shining and not watching the dark tower. But I guess that's kind of cool. If, if they can make it into this one giant universe, uh, I hope it isn't like this. You know, I, 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 we have high hopes for it later this year and I hope that it's not the dark tower, that it's at least a horror movie and doesn't yeah. just kind of, exist you know yeah you dark tower fans i i apologize there's nothing worse than a podcast where two guys go i don't know but we don't know is that it let us know email us and let us know or tweet us if that's in the book or i have a feeling that stuff was in the book but or if that was added to to kind of be cool in the film but i have a feeling that was in the book but gosh you know yeah it was i think it will be kind of much more self-contained and more of a traditional remake this was this was a bit this was odd this was just a i i I won't even say. I know that's Rotten Tomato score is like seventeen. I just don't know if it's that. It's I, not. I, it's, it's not, not that bad. bad. No, it's but, not but that can, bad. But can it's you just recommend like it? Weird. That's the thing about Rotten Tomatoes, which we yeah, talked right. about. Totally is. It's either a recommend or a don't recommend. I don't think I would recommend this, but would I say that it's bad? No. Yeah. No, right. it's not for me. What is it on Metacritic? I'm going to look because that's more of a. I think it's decent on IMDb. That was like a six or a seven on IMDb for the user user score. And like I said, uh, it the had Dark Tower is thirty four on Metacritic. So that's wow. a little more. It's probably like if I had to give it a, a score out of a hundred, this is probably like a uh, forty five, fifty. Yeah. You know, which I guess is technically an F. But you know, as we know, Fs are we would give more tens, twenties too. <laughs> it's it's it's. Uh, it's a weird piece of entertainment, but it's mid budget. You know, it's if this would be worse, a if it was, if they spent one hundred and seventy million dollars on it and it was this as opposed to like a more scaled movie, or if this was two hours and fifteen minutes, I would hate it more. But it's just kind of like a, it's just more. It was just kind of baffling than it was bad. Yeah, exactly. I, I was waiting for it to be, you know, for some really offensive exposition which was no. kind of minimal 
uh, for some really bad one-liners. I, there should have been more exposition. <laughs> I, I know, that's been... what I mean. I kept waiting for it. It's like, it, at least give it to me, even if it's bad, at least at least we need some here. Uh-huh. Um, but again, I mean, I was sitting there in the theater, and we went an hour, hour 20 into this thing, and I'm just waiting for the movie to kind of start. You know, you're, you're waiting yeah. for the stakes to get high. You're waiting for something of consequence to happen. You're waiting for some kind of climax in, in either the, the performances, the emotion or the action. And we never got that. It just kind of, it's like I said, it's such a plateau. It's, it's a flat line movie, you know, it doesn't really go up. It doesn't really go down. It just kind of stays all on one note. It's a very monotone film. And that's disappointing. Cause again, I understand the vision of, of Stephen King and the rich creativity that it took to create this world. And, the gunslinger and the mythology and and the the people with the skin and all that I thought that was really cool and creative and I I wish this was an HBO series if I'm being completely honest uh, this made me just want to go home and watch Westworld you know because <laughs> that's yeah it's it's and much it, and more that's of everything what this now. is I mean, and, uh, yeah I mean we complain about the you know I was I was reading I recommended that book a couple weeks ago the AO Scott uh, the how to think critically book and yeah and part of that is the you know we we complain about the over popcornization of of movies right these everything is a superhero or a remake and they're becoming theme park rides and that's true and you don't you see less things like this sort of mid mid-budget action films because those are all uh you know bloodline and things like that on netflix hbo westworld like westworld's not a movie it became uh, an HBO show. So those things still exist, but they just kind of stretch them out till 10 to between 10 and 50 episodes and, and do it. So everything like this would probably be better this, but you would think this, especially being seven books. I just don't understand why this isn't, uh, yeah. a Netflix kind of right. kind of thing. It's but, perfect. Yeah. It's, it seems like it'd be perfect, but they did not really remake the books. Apparently. I mean, this is a sequel to the books, which seems, uh, really presumptuous. Yeah. How much involvement did Stephen King have on this? Um, because I know that, you know, uh, Stanley Kubrick went and made The Shining without kind of Stephen King's blessing, and Stephen King was like, that's nothing like I wanted it to be, and it's nothing like it, it like the book, you know? He, he did a disservice, he said, to The Shining. And so Stephen King went on his own, you know, in the 80s or whatever, late later on and made his own version of the shining more accurate to the book. Right. Uh, so if Stephen King was involved a lot with this and, uh, you know, he signed off on it, I'm very confused because I don't think he would even say that this is exactly what his vision yeah. was, or this is the story he was going to tell. It just seems incomplete. That's the thing. Uh, I mean, yeah, maybe they- this had another hour and it went somewhere but it was two and a half hours long. I'd be like, yeah, it was, it was a lot better in that last hour, but it was too long. You know, they could yeah. catch 22 there. So totally. I don't know how involved he was making it, but he did promote it. I mean, there's that okay. story about, uh, you know, there's some, some colleagues of ours getting in a little trouble for flying up to Maine, you know, with the studio and then giving the movie good reviews. Well, Stephen King's involved in that, uh, was involved in that sort of trip. So, so, I th- I think he at least gave it a a passable thing. I, uh, uh, he, he was at least okay with it. I don't know if he loved it, but he did help uh, promote it a little bit. But yeah, 
uh, yeah, this was this was pretty odd. It, it looks like, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's a continuation of of an existing series, and it just seems so such a weird, weird way to do it. But I, I would love to see it. I would love to hear, and maybe we'll read them next week. I would love to know the people that read these books and and had a real knowledge of this of these of this world and the kind of the logic of it. Did, did they like the film? Because the film is very much for them, right? Because it's, right. it's a sequel. So I would love if you, if you're a big dark tower fan, please email us at mad about movies, podcast at gmail.com. We have a new show email that we're going to announce soon. Uh, also, or tweet us if you have a quick couple, uh, couple sentence, if you liked it, but I am curious if, if dark tower fans, cause that's, that's a big group of people loved it. Yeah, man. And the kids, uh, Jake's parents, it was very confusing. Uh, they're the, some of the maybe the worst parents of all time. Yeah. Uh, are like, oh yeah, our kid is having these weird visions. Um. Well, oh, this random expert showed up to our house. Uh, you need to go with these experts. You need to go. I don't care who they are. Right. These uh, the the McConaughey kind of uh, minions or whatever. Uh, you know, go to to get Jake, but he knows who they are. Like he escapes, but the parents. We're like, yeah, you need to go with these people. And then the parents are super stressed out because their kid is missing. It's like, well, you sit them with these really sketchy people that <laughs> had nothing to do with you or anyone you know. They just <laughs> said that they could interpret your kid's dreams and then you're super stressed about your kid being gone. Wow. Not very good parenting. And then, spoiler alert, they dead. They were dead, like, immediately <laughs> after that. Um, but that was very, that was maybe the only, like, really offensive kind of plot hole that I saw in the movie. Like, why would they let these, their kid, their 11-year-old, go with these people, even if he was having these weird... And they didn't seem to care about all the drawings and crap that it was in his room. You know, like, he's clearly disturbed, yeah. y'all. He's got something yeah. going on. Um, and no one really, really paid attention to him. But I guess... Yeah, that's the moral of the story. You know, the gunslinger is great with... Uh, with the gun, right? And McConaughey was like a, a telepath or like had the shine or whatever. And uh, that's, the, that's the whole deal is that, is that Jake had the power in his mind to overcome it, you know? And it's, uh, it's all about mm -hmm. your, your outlook or, or your mental capacity to get through a situation, not necessarily your, your physical ability. I don't know if that's the moral of the actual book or that's, that's the, the, the point they're trying to get across, but that's the point I got across. And, it's a story that we've heard 10 million times. It's it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog, and that's great. But again, 90, 90 minutes or 80 minutes into the movie, it felt like we were nearing the halfway point narratively to what I feel like it should have been in the movie. And then, you know, McConaughey comes in and they had, they, uh, exchange words a little bit there's this portal that's going crazy behind him uh mm -hmm. idris elba gets or roland you know thinks in his mind i don't know what the the phrase is you know through your father's power or something like that he uh basically ricochets a bullet into another bullet and kills mcconaughey and that's it and when that that happened i was like did is this, is this over? 
Did this yeah. just uh, is this over? Yeah. Like I got really excited, <laughs> got really excited, and then it just ends within three and a half minutes. Like that's that's the end, and we're we're done. And then roaring applause after that yep. uh, in my theater. So that was very confusing, but again, could have been could have been a lot worse. Um, another thing, Spider Tree Man. I put that in here too in my notes. Uh, there's one little scene where they're attacked by a spider tree man, Spider Man slash Groot slash Tree Man from Lord of the Rings or Treebeard, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, that was kind of it. Uh, as far as like the big CGI action, the rest was all kind of just gunslinger type stuff. Um, I think there was some little some missed opportunities with, with the fish out of water stuff with with Roland. You know, they, they really there's one scene where they really kind of try to hit that, you know, where, where like they did in Thor. I thought in Thor they did a really great job of the fish out of water. He's 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 a a spaceman on Earth, right? And he mm-hmm. his dialect is weird. He doesn't understand our culture, our customs, and I think they could have probably hit that home a little bit more in this. And it could have been used better for comic relief. And they kind of try to do it when they go to the gun shop, you know, but that's kind of falls flat. And um again, another missed opportunity. And when I saw the trailer to this, and there's that moment in the trailer where he like throws the bullets up and like catches them with the uh, barrel of the gun, you know, mm-hmm. as it's spinning, the revolver spinning, and he's shooting. I was like, there's a nine out of ten chance that that's the coolest moment in the movie. Yep, <laughs> right? totally. That that's the Absolutely. only thing that you go away saying well, that was pretty cool, you know, and that that ended up being the case uh, as far as I'm concerned, but. Uh, any other observations uh, from this? And no, there's I, there's a, it, some family drama. I think there's a missed opportunity there yeah. a little bit with the the, uh, the kid was father also figure suspect. of Roland and yeah, Jake sucked. Jake was yeah. not a good not no. a good actor. Sorry, kid. Um, maybe he'll yeah. become a great actor one day. Maybe, probably not though. Uh, <laughs> there was some missed opportunity we'll there with with Roland kind of becoming his dad and being that father figure yeah. and taking him under his wing. Never really felt like they had that chemistry. Like that uh, Iron Man, Spider Man chemistry, yeah. or anything like that. So, um, the question is: is where do we go from here? Right? Uh, do, will this get a sequel? You think anything like that? I think I saw well, a headline today that they were trying to make this into a TV show. Yeah, like they the only are. point the- of this was to to intro a TV show of some kind eventually. It's an interesting model. It'll be. I think it'll depend on how it uh, how it goes. How it goes uh, internationally? It's only open in a few countries. If it if it has a big showing, you know, if it makes another hundred million overseas, then then certainly there'll be a sequel. But we'll have to see. So, uh, Deadline is reporting that exit polls for The Dark Tower. Uh, there was a questionnaire that was handed out, and um, they said apparently eighty three percent of the people that responded to the survey said that they would watch a television series with the same. In the same world. So that might end up getting it some kind of uh, look at a, uh, at a TV series. I don't think you get Idris Elba for that. I don't think you get McCon- McConaughey for that. But again, it, it, it's a world that I would like to explore in long form or maybe mm-hmm. in shorter form. It's It reminds me of of Doctor Who or it reminds me of Westworld. It reminds me of, of the Game of Thrones or The Walking Dead. Uh, it does have that feel. And uh, I'm just sad. Like, how many more Stephen King 
properties are they going to make that just don't that don't do it don't live up to the hype that don't do Stephen King's great narratives justice you know that that's probably the most depressing part is that this gives kind of Stephen King kind of like a ugh you yeah, know uh, that's that's it's unfair tough. to him but he's but, fine he's fine though you know like, yeah but, I mean but he maybe should have written uh, written, written a better book <laughs> or no he should have written I mean if they were meant to do that he'd be a great screenplay writer he's a great book writer and that's okay they can exist just as great books it, you know it doesn't mean just because there's obviously there's great adaptations of his work as well but just because there's a lot of failed adaptations i don't think that doesn't lessen him in my eyes whatsoever he's yeah. a great he's a great writer of in that form and those are vastly different things you know one is a is a kind of theater of the mind thing and one is a, a theater of the eyes and so uh that's that's fine i mean i i, I think I would still adapt Stephen King properties if they if they made me interested because every once in a while they work great, but I don't really put that on him. Yeah, something where it did work was again on television they did that um twenty two sixty three, eleven twenty two sixty three with with James Franco and they they did that on Hulu about the JFK assassination and it was like a ten or twelve episode series and you know each episode by itself didn't work but as a whole series you really do have a chance to to flesh it out until that totally, story because they're written in you know they're right. six seven hundred page books so it's hard yeah. to condense them into a 90 page script there is a scene in in the dark tower where roland and jake are having that conversation and roland's talking about when he lost his dad and i think the scene lasts two and a half minutes and i was just thinking to myself like man that that in the book that was probably a great scene. Yeah. You know, it's just super personal and great setting and it and you learn a lot about the characters, but it just didn't translate. Is is there another aspect, Richard, where this could have just been unfilmable? Yeah, I mean I, I think his his action and, and horror and and you know the things that make him a great thriller writer could potentially be they may may be more unfilmable because they are he creates such suspense in in the reader's mind that's hard to replicate visually uh, i think there's something to that you know the the really critical successes of king's work aside from the shining have mostly been adaptations of his less thriller driven work you know the green mile and shawshank and things like that which are more uh nar- you know traditional dramatic narratives about you know relationships and they're they're quieter and there's uh, still protagonists and antagonists and, and some a lot of tension, but they're not uh, supernatural, really. Uh, at least, I mean, Green Mile is and, and, and all that, but it's a different kind of supernatural. Those seem to be more filmable. Whenever you go into really large-scale Stephen King uh, exploits, there, there's, there's still, there are successes within that, it and things like that, which are, you know, which are uh, classics, but there's a lot more misses on that, on that side of the aisle. I agree. And this, again, just disappointing and it's kind of marks the end of the summer for me. You know, it's just, yeah, I'm uh, ready for puts a nail in the season, man. I'm ready for the good movies to, to start rolling out. Hopefully that starts next week when we talk about Detroit, which did come out and didn't do very well. Did not. That's in the, the people uh, are asking why we didn't do that this week. Cause we, uh, we love Catherine Bigelow. A it's cause Brian's not on. We want to have, cause that's, a very good movie and we want to have the full squad here and be it did abysmally at the box office. So it's not, uh, not probably a whole lot of people that want to hear us talk about it, but we are because we love, we love Catherine Bigelow and, and we, we like good movies. I agree. Okay. 
Well, what are you going to give this grade? I'm going to give this, oh, I'm going to give, this is probably a D minus or an F, but because it's short, I'm going to go C minus. That's how much I appreciate the, the, uh, the 90 minute runtime. Kent, what about you? I'm going to give this a C minus. Yeah. And it C would minus have gotten an F. If this had been an hour longer and not been any better, <laughs> it would have been an F, but it was, I mean, this was the most mediocre movie I've maybe ever seen. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, totally. I'm not even kidding. It was, uh, it was just blah. All right. Yeah, put that on the poster. It was just <laughs> blah. It's better than a lot of the reviews it's gotten, so we're on the positive side. It is. It is. Okay, let's uh, move on and let's hit a recommend. Weekly recommend. Yeah. What would you like to recommend, Richard? I am going to recommend a book. Uh, I'm kind of a, 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 as people may know that listen to the show, I'm kind of a journalism nerd, and I have heroes in my life. And one of those heroes is Ben Bradley, and I read a biography of him recently called Yours in Truth, A Personal Portrait of Ben Bradley. And it uses a lot of his letters, correspondence, and anecdotes from a lot of people around his life. Uh, Ben Bradley was the editor-in-chief of The Washington Post. Uh, through enormously high moments, Watergate, you may have heard of it, and some low moments, which like the Janet Cook uh, fiasco, uh, which you may not know about. This is an interesting read if you want to Google that, dear listener. Uh, and this is equal parts. And it, it, what makes Ben Bradley great is as a kind of a leader and uh, character. He's one of, just a great American character. It's someone that could, you know, Ben Bradley, he comes from this very waspy background from a lot of money in New England and he ends up a, a newspaper reporter in DC and, and works his way to editor in chief of the Washington Post. Uh, so he, he, you know, perfect way to describe him. Everyone says he, he was able to uh, say the most vulgar thing you've ever heard uh, with his raspy voice at a dinner and then turn around and order dinner in perfect French from the waiter. He could kind of operate in both worlds. He's one of those people. Uh, so Ben Bradley is, is honestly one of my favorite Americans as a character. I just think he's fascinating. I could think about uh, Jason Robards played him uh, wonderfully in All the President's Men. And Tom Hanks is about to play him in yeah. uh, the papers coming up later this year. So that'll be really great. Great actor and a great character. And and if you're not familiar, I really recommend this book highly. It's one of my favorite things I've read in a couple years. Uh, I'm obviously interested in the subject matter, but I really think it would play if you're not, if you're just looking for something different. And it's a really interesting biography because, like I said, it is presented with a lot of his original letters and uh, things like that. So it's, it's kind of a cool uh, portrait of, of this man and what he meant to not only journalism, but he's a really important 20th century historical character uh, with, with Watergate and things like that. So uh, yours in truth. It's by Jeff Himmelman. Uh, Kent, what about you? What are you recommending? I'm going to recommend something that I think I recommend around this time almost every year. And uh, I think you know what time it is, Richard. Uh, Hard Knocks is back. Uh, HBO's Classic. Hard Knocks this year is uh, is Tampa Bay Buccaneers training camp. And if you've never seen Hard Knocks, it's a documentary television series that covers uh, NFL training camp for a different team every single year. It's it's uh it's unscripted. It's it's um you know, it's in real time kind of every single week they have an episode that kind of covers the previous week and uh, it really gives you an inside look at uh the NFL, at uh a team, you know, at the personalities of the players, the coaches, everything like that. And uh it's it's a really really good series. It's it's produced by NFL Films and, and very well done. 
by HBO and everything. And um, that's where I am currently. I'm at a training camp. I do this every year. So yeah. So if you like it, everyone will it, like it. it yeah. You've got to be tired of it. I'm tired I'm of it, but I really, really enjoy it. I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna watch it here after we get off. Well, with some of my colleagues, but um, it, it really is. It's an inside look at at NFL life and um, kind of what it's like from a day to day perspective. I mean, these are real men that uh, you know. This is their the this is their job. They put it all on the line. They risk their lives you know, and their bodies every day to do to play the game that they love and that they dreamed of playing and to do it for no other reason than for our entertainment and for their own, you know, uh, personal well-being, you know, financially. So there's a lot of stakes here, you know, guys, grown men get cut, you know, like you would in, in middle school, you know, get cut from the basketball team or whatever. And uh, it's always emotional and tough and there's always drama and it's just really well done. So Hard Knocks is back, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I'm trying to think of the yeah. past few years of, of hard knocks. I really enjoyed the Texans one a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the, the, the dolphins like four years ago, five years yeah. ago when Ocho Cinco got cut in camp and they had that all pan out on hard knocks is very dramatic. So looking forward to, uh, to this year, what, what sticks out I, to you? I, I love hard knocks. I think the bucks is a cool team to do. We had the Rams last year. That was kind of a, a bummer. Uh, this is a more interesting team. Uh, but the yeah, the best thing I can say about Hard Knocks is I dated a girl years ago that uh, that had a almost pathological aversion to sport. She was uncomfortable with competition in general, and she was just had no zero interest in in sports of any kind. Uh, and so, obviously, her and I did not work out. She's a lovely human, but you know, just that that amongst other things. But I showed her. I was watching Hard Knocks one time, and uh, and she uh, she was like, "What is this?" And I was like, "Oh, you, I just automatically I was like, you're gonna hate this. Like, I'm just gonna watch it. It's about thing." And she just kind of sat down, like just, and she watched the whole series. Like, she loved it. So, don't think that an interest in the NFL, you know, I'm not interested in uh, in in you know a lot of reality shows what they do, but they're they're interesting or or documentaries, but. The way it's presented is interesting. You've got great Leah Shriver narration. It's uh, it's it's a stellar program. And NFL Films is one of the best just visual presenters of anything in, in media. They do yeah. a, a really great job shooting this stuff. And it's and with the music and the narration, it's presented so dramatically. And you don't watch Hard Rock, Hard Knocks. I can say to to watch Tom Brady. You know you you want you know be great. You watch Hard Knocks because you want to know if this. You know, this guy that wasn't drafted that plays tight end is going to make it as the backup tight end on this team. Yeah. And, you know, his his future, he spent his whole life playing football and he may never get to play it again if he's cut. Right. And he's going to have to go sell cars. And mm-hmm. the, the drama of that is really, really captivating. It is. And uh, just one example, uh, the Cowboys were on it and I believe 2008 and um, the pre-Kent era, the pre-Kent, the pre-Kent era of the Cowboys and That's all they call it. Yeah, they do. It's actually in the media guide. Uh, <laughs> and that was the last time we did it. And uh, one of the big storylines of that season was about our wide receiving core. And Terrell Owens was there. Uh, Miles Austin, Sam Hurd, other guys like that. Patrick Creighton. Mm, Sam Hurd. Yeah. What ever happened to him? I don't know. Stay tuned <laughs> to a documentary that might explain that. Uh, but there is always a drama there. But they were focused on... None of those guys, really. I mean, they're, of course, they're focused on T.O., but they're focused on yeah. 
a receiver, a small little guy from Texas Tech, I believe, yep. Yep. named Danny Amendola. And the everyone was pulling for him, but there was uh, one game, one preseason game, where he fumbled a punt and muffed a punt, turned over the ball, and that was like that kind of marked the end. Like everyone knew, you know, after that panned out in hard knocks, and like he he probably wasn't going to make the team. And then you have the moment of Jerry Jones sitting him down in his office saying, "We'd like to offer you a a, a job on the practice squad." You know, um, mm-hmm. they basically basically he made the team without making the team. If you make the practice yeah. squad in the NFL, you're basically practicing football for a living, mm-hmm. you know, or you're you're playing against the uh, the first team getting them ready for the next game, you know, mimicking what the other team's going to do and things like that. But if you but stay, if any team, it, but if any team wants to sign you to their right. real team, they can. they can sign any other team can sign you at a moment, you know, forever. But, um, if, if you stay on the practice squad for an entire year, you make $400,000 <laughs> like that. It's a really decent job if you're willing to do it. So they offered Amandola that. And, uh, I think he was claimed pretty, pretty fast, off the practice squad to another team, and he's still in the NFL today. Yep, won a Super Bowl. Just won a Super Bowl, has been a huge impact player for a long time. So it's just kind of cool to see those stories. And, you know, who knows, eight years down the line, some of the guys that get cut on hard knocks might end up being something. But, again, it's real drama, and uh, it's it's what we experience every day in the NFL. And it's really, really, like you said, uh, NFL Films is just – that's my dream gig probably would be to, to do that and, and to do what they do. They're just so good at what they do and they tell the stories better than any, any sports, you know, better than any NBA.com thing can do or any MLB no, yeah, totally. can do. I mean, it's just, it's on an Are they owned level. by the NFL? Uh, I think they're in association with the NFL. Yeah. That's um, what helps them. But they are, kind they're of their not, own yeah, they're company. kind of their own production company, you yeah. know? And, um, yeah, the Sable father and son started mm-hmm. that forever ago. It's crazy. Yeah. That's a really interesting documentary feature, whatever it was that, that Steve Sable, is that the dad? Right. I know one yep. of them, Steve, that might be the son. We'll just call one of them Steve or maybe I think Ed was the dad. Steve's Ed Sable. There, yeah. yeah it, or no, I think Steve passed away. Did I think have, both of them both? are gone. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the son died very young in the last couple of years. Uh, but anyway, the dad, uh, I think he had a brain tumor, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the dad b- decided he liked football, and he like bought a camera for an insanely cheap amount of money, you know, in the '60s. And he bought the rights to film on we the sideline at like Super Bowl one mm-hmm. for like fourteen hundred dollars. Right. And then he built, a, you know, this is with a film camera, and thus NFL Films. And then he kind of went to Super Bowls after that, and then he became, he built a business around it. And now it's a a very, very substantial uh, business. They're based out of Philadelphia, I believe. And uh, yeah, it's crazy that just kind of decided as a hobbyist, he liked to shoot his kids. Uh, he was a big like amateur videographer and decided, oh, this I love football. They're having this first professional, you know, AFC versus NFC or AFL versus NFL uh, Super Bowl. I'm going to go see if I can film it. And they let him do it for nothing. And now, you know, this is... 50 plus years later, his legacy is this, yeah. is this company. Yeah. It, I remember as a kid watching NFL films highlights and just being like, why am I watching highlights of a regular season, you know, Bears Dolphins game? And it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, there's just such a pageantry to it. There's such a cinematic quality to how they're shot and the music and, and the frame rate, even, and the, you know, shooting it on film and 35 millimeter and all that. I mean, they just get it. 
and it's no on it's not on display any better than on hard knocks so really excited for this season and um can't recommend it highly enough to the viewer okay this has been fun richard uh we'll welcome brian back with open arms yeah we'll see after his uh disney trip part trace of the year i think is over with but uh until then where can we find you online richard you can find me on all social media at uh, at Richard Barden, R I C H A R D B A R D O N. Kent, where can I find? Or you can find me at Mad About Movies Podcast Newsletter, which will be out imminently. Kent, where can I find you? Find me online at Kent Garrison on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and on KentGarrison.com. And uh, find us online, Mad About Movies Podcast.com. If you like what you hear and you want to support us and get more content, more bonus episodes and things like that, you can support us in our VIP club over at Patreon, patreon.com slash madaboutmovies. Leave us five yeah. stars on iTunes, and uh, that helps grow the show. What up, Richard? That's just cheering you. Yeah. Saying, yeah. Yeah, do it. Uh, th- by the way, thanks to the VIPs, and uh, be on the lookout well, for another bonus episode next week, I believe. Uh, yep, and we will shout you out here soon. Once Brian's back, we got the whole crew. We've got... Lots of shout-outs to do on, on different tiers, plus the uh, the new members of the four dollars. We tier. do, so we gotta we gotta do that soon. But we wanna we wanna make sure you get you know you you paid for your shout-out. You deserve all three of us, not just, just right. lame Kent and Richard. We just we just got our new stickers for the VIPs, and those will be oh, shipping out beautiful. very soon. Oh. They're awesome. I want I want one on my laptop, and uh, some cool little trinkets and things like that coming your way, as well as awesome T-shirts, exclusive episodes. Yeah, man, it's just so great to be a VIP. It, it really is. is. All right. Well, uh, until next week, we'll talk Detroit then. Uh, we'll see you at the cinema. Bye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe. But I got you pegged. But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me yah yah.